welcome to another inspirational message from Brave Church UK. Well, Merry Christmas. Hey, do you know, I'm getting my wife a fridge for Christmas. I can't wait to see her face light up when she opens it. Hey, where, where would you find a Christmas tree? Between a Christmas two and a Christmas four. Oh, they get better. What was the snowman doing looking through the carrots? He was picking his nose. Okay, it's a bit high, that, isn't it? Okay, uh, I think uh, onto something a bit more serious, really. Um, frozen. Frozen. That's be cute. There we go. Frozen. I come across this the other day. It's amazing, right? Who do you recognize on there? Arna. That's Arna. Elsa's just opened the gates, and uh, this is, uh, you know, for a long time. Well, I don't forget how the words go now. But if you look closely at this picture as they come out the palace gates, um, just zoom in on that one there. Can you see these two here? Recognize anyone there? It's Rapunzel. Seriously, it's, that's Rapunzel, and that's Flynn Rider. They've come to visit Elsa. I couldn't believe it, right? This is Frozen, and you've got Rapunzel in Frozen. This is like Disney World's colliding. There's a conspiracy going on that actually, you've got uh, Elsa and Anna's uh, mum. They're the sister, that's the sister of Rapunzel's mum. And uh, three years before this was made, Rapunzel came out. Three years before this story is happening, Elsa's parents, they go on a, um, a, a sea voyage. It's said that they were going to, uh, to a wedding. It would be Rapunzel's wedding, but they got shipwrecked. You see, there's a, there's a film universe going on. And uh, it gets wider than that. I ain't got time to go into it, but it links to all sorts of other films as well. But you've got these... You've got these standalone stories, and yet they appear in someone else's story as well. It happens in Marvel. Marvel have this uh, cinematic universe, and you get Spider-Man. He's got his own standalone stories, and yet he appears in Iron Man. And Iron Man gets a mention in Captain America. And uh, so it's this cinematic universe that goes on. I was uh, reading the Bible the other week, and I came across something similar. It's like I was reading all about Jeroboam II, this wicked king of Israel, and how he had to take back the northern territories from the Assyrians. And it says, and the prophet Jonah turned up and, and prophesied that he, he'd be able to take it back. And I thought, is that Jonah? Is that the Jonah, the one who has his own standalone story? He's got his own book. He's making a cameo appearance in Jeroboam's story. And it is. It's the same Jonah. And it happens in the Christmas story too. You get these cameo appearances from Daniel, the story of Daniel. And uh, I can't go into the story of Daniel because time doesn't allow it, but uh, you'd have to read it. It's a good book. And uh, Daniel, 500 years before, he gets taken off into Babylon as uh, an exile. And uh, God's hand is so on him that he gets promoted to the second in charge, the second in command um, in Babylon. And because of that, they put him in charge of the enchanters and the astrologers and the soothsayers and the wise men and the magi. 
And so he has to train them. He has to manage them. He has this school of wise men, if you like. And he would have told them all about the prophecy of, uh, of the Messiah and, uh, and all of Israel's history. And so down through the centuries, the wise men, these, these astrologers, they would have been looking out for the signs of the coming Messiah. And then one day, the star appears. And so they know what it means. So they get together uh, all the, the gifts and they set off and they land at Jerusalem and they say to Herod, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And they're not just asking for any old king. They're asking for the Messiah. Herod then says to the priest, he says, well, where's this Christ meant to be born? And they say in Bethlehem. So they go off to Bethlehem and they see Jesus there and they give him their gold, their frankincense and their myrrh. You know, he's not the only one. Daniel's story is not the only one that's being referenced in the Christmas story and in the life of Jesus. Jonah is as well. You see, as Jesus grows up, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, they speak of his life and his destiny. But as he's growing up, Jesus, he's asked for a sign one day, and he says, the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Did you know that Jesus grew up in the same place that Jonah grew up? Jonah was the hero of Nazareth. He was the prophet from Nazareth. And here's Jesus growing up two or three miles from where Jonah lived. Their worlds have collided. And I want to unpack for you this afternoon the dovetailing of the sign of Jonah and the three, wise, or the, the three gifts from the wise men. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, let me tell you the story of Jonah. And in order for that, I just need something. Yeah, you're in for a treat today. See if it works. Okay, so I need Jonah, here we go. Specsavers. Um, okay, here's, here's Jonah. And uh, God said to Jonah, He said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to tell them uh, that they, they were re a really wicked city, was Nineveh. He said, I want you to tell them that they need to repent because if they don't repent, the judgment of God is going to come on them. And uh, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to bring that message of salvation. So he went the opposite direction. He went down to the port and he found a ship and he got on board the ship. I've been practicing this, you know. Not well enough. I've got 15 more. Just talk amongst you. Have another jingle mingle. Done him a bit bigger now. Can you see him? Best work, this. 
He didn't like that first ship because it smelled. So he thought he'd get himself a better ship. Well, I've had my time already. We're finished now. So he gets on board the ship. You can see him there. You can see him there. Look at that, eh? Hey. Right. Gets on board the ship. There he is. And he sets sail and he goes in the wrong direction. Can you just see him there at the back there, yeah? He's uh, just deciding where he wants to sleep. Okay, there we go. Right, and uh, they set sail. But it's not too long before there's a big storm gets up. And the ship's being tossed about. And the sailors, they're terrified because... The ship is breaking up, and uh, and so they, they, what they do, they draw lots to see who's at fault. And the lot falls to Jonah, and they say to Jonah, Jonah, what have you done? And Jonah says, I'm running away from God. So now they are terrified. And he said, the only way that the storm will stop is if you throw me into the sea. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to try and make it uh, to, back to land so they're throwing the cargo overboard and they're trying to roll back to land and they just can't get there and he says the only way that you're going to get uh, this, this storm to stop is to throw me into the sea so they, they get him and they throw him overboard and as soon as he hits the water the wind stops and the waves die down and God sends a big fish Jonah ends up in the belly of the fish. Do you know that the sailors, they were troubled. They were troubled because they were experienced sailors and they knew that they were going to drown. The only way for peace to come for the sailors was for Jonah to be thrown into the sea. At the time the wise men turned up, the magi turned up, it says that Herod was troubled. It says, and the whole city was troubled with him. Now, I can understand why Herod was troubled, because Herod, he was the king of the Jews. That was his title. And these magi, they were saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? This was someone to rival Herod. But why was the city troubled? Well, in order to understand why the city was troubled, you need to understand some of the background of what was going on. You see, at that time, the world was dominated by two empires. You had the Roman Empire in the west, and you had the Parthian Empire in the east, and Israel was the buffer between them. And the Romans in uh, 40 BC, they'd attacked the Parthians and been beaten and pushed back. Three years later, they tried it again. They attacked the Parthians, and the Parthians beat them. And this time, they came into, into Jerusalem, into, and they, they took the Romans out of Israel, and they occupied Jerusalem. Herod, who was king of the Jews, couldn't enter his own royal city because it was uh, occupied by the enemy. They had to have a five-month siege. Eventually, they got Jerusalem back. So that's the situation. And here's these wise men, these magi. They were the legal kingmakers. We get our word magistrate from magi. These legal kingmakers had turned up, and they wouldn't have just been three of them. It was dangerous territory to cross. 
They'd have had an army escort as well. So this caravan would have turned up to Jerusalem of soldiers and legal kingmakers demanding where is the king of the Jews, the new king of the Jews. What were they doing? Were they picking a fight? Was there going to be an overthrow of Herod? Were they going to war again? The Parthians had beat the Romans. It's no wonder that the city was troubled. And it's into that trouble that God places Jesus. He throws Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I don't know what it's like for you this Christmas. I know Christmas can be a stressful time. You might be troubled. You might find that you're in the middle of warring factions, families just falling out. You might find that you're overwhelmed, like the sailors were overwhelmed, overwhelmed by circumstances, by the expectations of Christmas, by the finances, and you have to make ends meet. There can be all sorts of reasons why you are troubled at this time of year. Let me tell you, if you invite Jesus into the midst, he'll bring you a peace that passes all understanding. Only Jesus can bring that kind of peace. So the wise men, they brought myrrh. Myrrh was the first gift. And myrrh speaks of death. It was a spice used to embalm a body, a dead body. We don't like to think of death as an aspect of Christmas. But Christmas was the beginning of the journey for Jesus that would lead ultimately to the cross and to his death. And it's all wrapped up in Jonah's story as well. It was the sign of Jonah. When Jonah was thrown overboard, do you know what I used to think? I believe for a lot of years that there was a fish waiting, that God had prepared a fish and he was waiting for Jonah to hit the water. And as soon as Jonah hit the water, he kind of swallowed Jonah up. And Jonah would be sat there in this big cavernous inside of a fish, sat there just twiddling his thumbs for three days because he was three days in the fish while the fish swam around the coast of Africa because it would have had to go all the way that way around to Nineveh, the port of Nineveh, and uh, spit him out at Nineveh. But that's not what happened. Not if you read the story of Jonah, not if you listen to his prayer. He says that when he was thrown overboard, he, he says that he went down to the roots of the mountains. He said, the seaweed wrapped around my head. The bars of the earth closed behind me forever. And I cried out to the Lord from Sheol. Where's Sheol? Sheol is the place of the dead. It's the place where the dead go to. Let me tell you now, I think that Jonah died. He died and he cried out to God. And he said to God, from the belly of the fish, he said, I will fulfill my vow. In other words, I'll be obedient to what you say. I'll fulfill my vow. So God gave him a second chance and he turned the fish around and he took him back to where he started. And God caused the fish to open its mouth fish the fish spat Jonah out and he was back to square one again myrrh speaks of death Jonah died Jesus had to die he died, and so we could have peace. We could have peace in our trouble. The second gift was frankincense. Frankincense speaks of the deity of, of Jesus, the fact that he's God, 
He's part of the Godhead. It's used in temple worship as an aroma to God. It's used as part of the sacrifice. And what the wise men were doing, the Magi, they were declaring that Jesus is God and that he would have to sacrifice. He would have to pay that sacrifice. It's God who paid the sacrifice. The Bible says that while we were still God's enemies, that Christ died for us. Think about it. While we were still his enemies, that Christ paid that sacrifice and died for us. One of the favorite things that uh, me and my boys like to do at home is play hide and seek in the dark. It's well good. Okay. The other day I was on, and uh, so I'm in the kitchen, and uh, the, the whole light is on, and you count to 100 or whatever it is, and uh, they go and hide. And then you open the door, you put your hand around the door to the light switch and switch the light off. So now it's pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And when it's like that, you could just be up against the corner, and nobody can see you. So I'm on my way up the stairs now, and I'm having to pat the sides of the stairs in case I go past anyone and I get to the top and I've got a choice of three directions to go in and I'm thinking where do I go they had really well and I thought I know I'll tell a joke so I told a really good joke and Reuben laughed in one direction and Theo laughed in the other I thought I'm having Theo <laughs> he's easier to find anyway so I'm working my way along the landing and I'm in the sides, I'm thinking there's no way out for Theo now, I've got him, and I'm working my way along, and I get, and I, as I'm working my way along, I could hear this noise, where's this noise, this movement, I'm thinking, where's it coming from, I was really disorientated, anyway, I get to the other end, I'm feeling around the walls, and he's not there, and I'm thinking, where is it, do you know what he did, crazy, he climbed over the banister, there is a 10 foot drop to the bottom of the stairs, this is pitch black, right? He's got his back against the wall and his feet on the banister, just edging along, all the way along till he gets to the top of the stairs, jumps down, runs down the stairs. It was this shuffling along that I could hear. Thinking, where's it coming from? See, Theo, he went to dangerous lengths to avoid being caught. So did Jonah. Jonah went to dangerous lengths to, be, to avoid being caught by God. And it cost him his life. He died. And he said to God, he said, okay, God, you've caught up with me. I will obey you. And the fish spat him back out onto land. Do you know, Jonah didn't go. He didn't go straight away. He should have done. And God had to send word a second time. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Why didn't Jonah want to sacrifice? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Let me tell you why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go because they were his enemies. They were the Assyrians. The Assyrians lived in Nineveh. And he knew that God was merciful and would let them off if he went and preached this message of salvation. He didn't want to pay the sacrifice for his enemies. Jesus was prepared to pay the sacrifice for his enemies. But Jonah wasn't. And eventually Jonah, he had to go and he went. Do you know, we hear stuff like that and we think, well, I'd be obedient to God if God asked me to do something because I know God would go with me. But you know, there's a real battle when it comes to being obedient to God. What happens if God tells you to say sorry to somebody? And you think, oh, it's as much as them to blame as it is to me. 
Why should I say sorry? God might say to you, I want you to forgive somebody who's wronged you. Why should I do that? And this battle goes on on the inside. Why should I be obedient to God? Why should I sacrifice? Why should I be the one that forgives? Maybe God tells us to bless somebody or invite someone around for tea, someone maybe you don't get on with so well, or to bless somebody or to to give some money or to give some time and effort. We say, it's just a bit inconvenient. There's all kinds of things that God asks us to do. And we find it a real battle. But you know, Jesus, he was asked by God to go to the cross, the worst death ever invented by man. And he had a battle with it too, but he won it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Here's the thing. When you are obedient to God, life comes life comes as a result Jesus was resurrected three days later life came to Nineveh when Jonah was obedient but will you be obedient to what God tells you this Christmas okay the last thing that uh, I want to talk about is gold and while I talk about gold if the band makes their way up gold speaks of the kingship of Jesus Jesus rose again and he became king of kings. One of my favorite films is First Night. It tells the story of King Arthur and Guinevere. And Guinevere is set to marry King Arthur. And so she leaves her hometown and she's on her way to Camelot. And she has to go through this forest. And as she's going through this forest, she's ambushed by the baddie, Malagant. But it just so happens that at the time, Lancelot is in the forest. Now he's not a knight at this point, he's just an ordinary person, swordsman, and he rescues Guinevere. And because he rescues Guinevere, he thinks, well, you know, this damsel in distress, I've just rescued her, I deserve a kiss. So he kisses her, and she's really offended. So she slaps him across the face. And she says, don't do that again. If you're a man of honor, don't do that again. He says, I don't know anything about honor, he says, but I'll never kiss you again unless you ask me. Anyway, Guinevere eventually makes it to Camelot, and as part of the celebrations for the wedding, they have this run the gauntlet, and it's uh, in the courtyard, and uh, all sorts of obstacles that you have to get over. Anyway, King Arthur comes out with his bride, and he announces to the people, he says, whoever runs the gauntlet, whoever gets to the end, will get a kiss off my bride. And the crowd, they all cheer. Lancelot hears it, and he thinks, I'll have that. And he's straight up, and he doesn't bother getting padded up, and all the crowd is shouting at him, get down, you'll kill yourself. You need padding on. And he's not bothered. He's got his eye on the prize. And so he begins to work his way across this gauntlet, and it starts off nice and easy because it's just uh, sticks and rods, and they spin him round, and he, he jumps over them and ducks, and he gets through them. And then the, the floors all wobble in. He, he gets across that. And then they get onto the real stuff, the swords and axes. And the swords are poking through the floor. And he's jumping over them. And then he gets to the axes and he has to time it just right because these axes are swinging. And as he, just, he just times it and he gets through the first pair and then the next pair and then the last pair. And there's a cheer from the crowd. And he's done it. And Guinevere looks across at who's won. And she sees Lancelot from the forest. And she thinks, no. Anyway, he gets up onto the stage and he looks at Guinevere 
And he says to Guinevere, ask me. Ask me to kiss you. And she says, no. He says, ask me. And all the crowd are cheering. She looks at him and she says, never. And he makes some excuse. He says, I dare not kiss so lovely a lady. I only have one heart to lose. But you know, Jesus ran the gauntlet for us. When he was born at Christmas, he was born into an open, unhygienic stable. He just had a, a long donkey ride, or his mother had. Not great conditions for a start. He's then running for his life from the massacre at Bethlehem. He's a refugee in Egypt. When he comes back and he begins his ministry, he's 40 days without food and water. The first sermon that he preached, they didn't like it, so they tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. The Bible says he slipped through the crowd. Another occasion, they tried to pick up stones to stone him by because of what he was saying. He was on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up and nearly uh, shipwrecked the boat. That happened not just once, it happened twice. He faced a demon-possessed man that nobody could tame, who roamed the tombs, and he faced him. He was betrayed by one of his closest followers. He was put on a false trial. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was humiliated, and then they nailed him to a cross. He died, they put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone over the tomb and sealed it and put a Roman guard on the outside. And then he rose again. He did it. He got to the end. He ran the gauntlet and he earned the prize to be king. King of your life, king of my life. He's earned the right to be king. But he never forces his way into anybody's life. Instead, he says, ask me. Ask me to be king. I've earned the right. But you have to ask Jesus to be king of your life. If you want salvation, you have to ask Jesus into your life to be king. Jonah, when he preached at Nineveh, the Bible says that the king came off his throne and put sackcloth on. He humbled himself. He got off the throne and salvation came to Nineveh. If you want salvation in your life, you're going to have to get off the throne of your life and you're going to have to invite Jesus onto that throne. Myrrh, it speaks of death, the death that he faced. Frankincense speaks of his godhood, his deity, and the sacrifice that he paid. And gold speaks of his kingship. He's earned the right to be king. But he says, ask me. Do you know, Jesus has his story 2,000 years ago. But if you ask him to be king, he'll be part of your story today. Let's pray. That's the end of this week's podcast. We hope that it inspired you. For any more information, visit bravechurch.co.uk.